When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Sadie Carpenter is here with you, cult expert Sadie Carpenter. My name is Gavriel Hakoan. How are you doing today, Sadie? I am doing great. Uh, today we are going to talk about our listeners' response to Ginger Duggar Wolo's book. We noticed that when we published our full episode reviewing her book, there were a few things that stood out as things that our listeners were the most interested in, and it was not at all what I thought it would be. So we're going to take an episode today, fill in some of those planks, and read some really insightful responses that we got from listeners. But before we get into that, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult, the cult in which she was raised. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, there's a couple of things that you can do to support us. Number one, most easy thing that you can do is hit that follow, that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. So you'll get our new episodes right when they come out on Monday morning. Um, and you'll want to make sure that you do that because next week we have a, a deep dive that we've been working on for, I think, three months. Is that I, about right? I think it's been longer than that. Yeah, we um we're basically we're gonna take a look at the cult like tendencies of the of of the manosphere, you know, all of these sort of toxic masculinity influencers that have uh been becoming so much more popular over the past few years. Um and we're going to take a whole look into that and that's going to be really interesting. I'm excited for that, and that's what's coming out next week. Um, so make sure that you're subscribed to the show so that you get that right when it comes out. If you want to get it a day early, 
then you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast, where we have extended uncensored and ad free versions of uh, most of our episodes. Um, and also they come out a day early on the Patreon. So that's really cool. You can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus, where we have our main discussion area with our fans. That's where, you know, uh, if you're a fan of the show and you want to talk to other fans, you can go to that Facebook group and talk to fans there. Sadie and I also chime in on a regular basis in that group. You can also join our subreddit, same sort of deal, reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Is there anything else I need to talk about before I go into thanking the patrons, Sadie? I think that's it for now. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much for subscribing to our Patreon. The ones that uh, the people who do subscribe to our Patreon, we are so appreciative of you and we absolutely uh, uh, do appreciate and we absolutely love the amount of support that you guys give us. We have two. I gave it all to your patrons. Your names are Kathleen Moncrief and Melissa Mosley. Oh my God, Kathleen and Melissa. You guys are fantastic. We do love you. We love you, Kathleen and Melissa. Oh, yes, oh, we no. do. I don't, uh, yeah, that's the <laughs> Jack Isles song. <laughs> I'm sorry if I triggered I, anybody. You triggered uh, me, Gavi. <laughs> I wasn't Sadie triggers herself. It was, uh, I triggered you. Um, Which is so much less catchy. There's not even a multitude of theme songs written by our listeners, nor is there fan art. <laughs> Sadly, no. Uh, <laughs> but our, our, uh, our faith promise missions to your patrons. Your names are Alex Todd, Alicia Guild, Ali Allen, Anisha Patel, Brittany, Brooke Tully, Krissa, Crystal Patterson, Dear Ethan Hansen, The Musical, Eleanor Donahue, Emery Fairlosser, Hannah Ross, Hope Norum, Horton Hears a Shane. I'm just here to send Sadie true crime podcast suggestions, AKA Meg, Janine Callen, Jen Kaharski, Jessica Tambo, Jonna K. Terwee, Kristen Marie, Lauren Vanderwall, Linda Morgan. Oh, thank you so much, Linda Morgan, for the lovely uh, uh, letter that you sent me. I just received it uh, this past week and it was uh, very nice of you. I really do appreciate getting that. Lindsay Goss, Lorena Watson, MC Crunchwrap, hashtag the boy who cried sauce, Michaela Upright, Madeline Antrim, Madeline Cusick, Marlena Stuve, Mary Williams, Mary Martin, Megan Arendt, Rob the Methodist, Sarah Reese, Scooby Sleuth, Stephanie Johnson, Susie, Tara McNamara, The Lady Rabbi, Tiffany Enderby, Walnut, Son of Walnut, Wendy Dalton, and as always, Wes the Cowboy. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much to all of our patrons at all tiers. I noticed that we had a whole bunch of new tithe and offering supporters this week. I really hope that you enjoyed our Patreon exclusive special episode last week. That was a lot of fun to do. Yeah, that was... Ooh. <laughs> God, I'm still thinking about that stalker advice. That was, ugh. yeah, that one kind of sticks with you, huh? All right, yeah. Sadie, do you want to give us the TW, and then we'll get into the sure. into the episode? Yeah. 
In general, we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show, including but not limited to suicide and mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD, PTSD symptoms, child abuse, mental, physical, and sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we're going to mention at least a few of these topics. We do try to avoid graphic detail unless it's relevant to the story we're telling on that day. We will also give you a heads up before we go into any graphic detail, even if there's already a trigger warning at the top of the show. In this episode, we are going back over what we learned in Ginger Duggar Vuelo's book, Becoming Free Indeed. We're going to be talking about uh, Calvinism, the fear of hell, the depravity of human beings. I don't think there will be anything particularly detailed in this episode. But we're also going to be discussing how those topics are taught to children, including both positive and negative examples. All right. Thanks so much for that, Sadie. So to start this off, um, there was kind of a, a major detail, I want to call it, of the book Becoming Free Indeed by Ginger Duggar Vuolo that I think we kind of glossed over. The book came out and then we both basically just like blazed through it on the day that it came out and then did notes and then recorded the episode like a couple days later and we had to get it ready for production. So obviously there was a couple things that we were going to miss in that process. Um, one big thing that in my opinion that we missed that was actually pointed out to us later is that this book, so this book was co-written by Corey Williams. Yeah. Uh, so I was going to, I was going to say, I didn't miss this. I knew about this. I just, I saw it talked about online so much before the book was published that I kind of didn't feel like I wanted to discuss it any further because it had been a topic of discussion for so long. Interesting. Okay. Well, I didn't know about this because I wasn't really paying attention to the discussion beforehand. I just knew that she was saying that it wasn't a tell-all. Yeah. You are not in 87 Facebook snarking groups like I am. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Um, but Corey Williams is the, he's basically the mouthpiece for John MacArthur's church. Um, his official position is the Master's Seminary Chief Communications Officer. And of course, Master's Seminary is the seminary arm of John MacArthur's ministry, which includes Grace Community Church, which is where Jeremy and Ginger attend and the subject of the extended commercial in her book. So he is basically, I mean, he is a PR guy. Yes. So I, I just I just think that's interesting because if she's talking at all about theology in the book, then and and it's being co-written by somebody who is a representative from the seminary is it also part of his job to make sure that everything that's coming out about the uh, in this book theologically is internally correct is con internally consistent with mm -hmm. what the ministry teaches that is my feeling that's a lot of other people's feelings this could just be my bias because I grew up in a misogynistic system, but my gut feeling is that maybe he was kind of a handler position for this book, that Williams was placed in the position to co-write this book by John MacArthur or by church leadership to make sure that gender doesn't go off script. One thing to remember about John MacArthur's ministry and Grace Community Church and all the associated ministries is that he is still... Uh, strongly against women being able to preach or pastor. So this is one of those churches that appears more modern because you might have 
women on staff in non-pastoral roles. You have women leading worship, possibly in front of the church. Um, you might even have a music minister on staff. That is a position that could be filled by a woman. I don't know if MacArthur would hire a woman as a children's pastor, but a lot of churches in this vein, that's the sort of positions that they will put women in. But he still does not believe that women can be pastors or can be preachers. So, considering that this book is talking about gender's theology so much, it is possible that someone from the ministry with which her husband is associated felt that it was improper to have a woman writing about theology without a man over her shoulder. That's just my speculation, and it's just my gut feeling. But I kind of feel like he was there to make sure that she, as, you know, a little lady talking about the Lord, didn't get anything wrong because these theological concepts are really more suited for male minds. Well, how much theology do, is is Ginger really into? Because I got the impression, at least from reading the book, that when she was in the IBLP, she wasn't really particularly interested in theology at all. She was just interested in following the rules. And then when she started her courtship with Jeremy and when she was getting involved with Jeremy, he would start talking to her about theology and her response was mostly, oh, interesting. I didn't know that was true. Well, that sounds right. I guess I'm just going to defer to what it is that you have to say rather than like saying, I want to learn about this for myself and see what I think about it. I don't get the impression that Ginger is into theology as a whole. Like, I'm interested in theology as a whole. I want to know the beliefs and the doctrines and the names of the doctrines and the people who first came up with them, even if it's a doctrine that I am not at all interested in, in believing or don't believe is true. And that doesn't just apply to Christianity. I want to know about world religions and why people believe things. This is... <laughs> This is how I went on a two-hour rabbit hole uh, reading about whether or not it was okay for me to wear my leather Doc Martens to um, Yom Kippur services. <laughs> right, right, right. I forgot about that. Because it's not, I mean, it is like anxiety and like I want to do things right and not be a jerk at a place where I'm a guest. But also it's, um, this is a neat tradition. This is this is something I haven't heard of before. I want to research it. I want to get into it. And I don't I don't know if Ginger really has that kind of love for theology. I think what she really does genuinely like is a a system of belief that allows her to feel less anxious. A system of belief that allows her to do things that she believes are acceptable for her to do, like wear pants, eat pork belly ramen, um <laughs> Uh, maybe go to a movie once in a while. And I think that, I don't know, I think she is interested in that particular theology that makes her feel okay, that puts her in agreement with her husband, and that lets her do the stuff she wants to do. I don't know, I don't get the impression that she's interested in any other different types of theology. Right. See, the way that I, I look at how you've engaged with various other kinds of theology, almost as if you're like, I don't want to say as if you're like a tourist, but like, say you were going on vacation to another country where they have different customs and a different culture and they eat different food. You would want to say, oh, well, let me try this out and let me, you know, 
try this food out in its traditional setting so that I can really get the full experience yeah. so that I can appreciate what the people in this country have to offer to the world. Yeah. And in that analogy, it's not, I'm going to completely switch over my home kitchen to only cooking this style of food, but it's, I want to fully experience this style of food. I approach theology that is not my theology with I want to absorb this, whether or not I want to adopt this. Maybe you'll bring an ingredient back that you're going to use all the time. And that's kind of, mm -hmm. yeah. Or maybe like you ever, you ever try a food and then you don't know if you like it or not. <laughs> and yes. you have to really think about it for like 10 minutes and then you have to eat some more of it. And then you have to think about it really hard. And you're, and you're in your head, you're like, this is either really really good or something i would never eat again and i do not know which one that is like the kind of the way that i want to engage with theology well that was like the first time i ever tried sushi and then i i tried it again and i was like oh actually i do like this and then i now i eat sushi kind of frequently and that's like that's how i always approach like theology or learning about world religion um i'm not going into it with the mindset of like i'm going to take this and make it a part of me forever. But I am very much going into it with the with the idea of, I want to dig into this. I want to understand this. I want to digest this thing. Yeah, it just seems to me like Ginger is going from being like, my kitchen used to be just 100% Mediterranean diet. Now I'm 100% keto, like without really any sense to it. And that's kind of the mm -hmm. impression that I got out of it. And it seems like her... Her her co-writer goes from being Mediterranean diet influencer to keto influencer. Like that's just like. Did you feel like you had any kind of sense for what Corey Williams' input may have been to the book? The sections where she was talking about her experiences felt to me like they were ginger. Like it was all ginger. The sections where she. And maybe, you know, a lot of the sections where she was talking about a specific Bible verse might have been something that she was into. But the sections where I felt like she was, where it least felt like her were the ones where she was talking about specific doctrines and specific teachings, as little of that there was. And some of those, she would just use phrases that felt kind of like out of place. Yeah, I would even say that towards the end of the book where she's just really gushing about Jesus, the, the kind of Jesus is my boyfriend-ish bits that she gets into, that feels like ginger. That feels like uh, uh, authentically a young woman who is in that type of church and that type of doctrine. That tracks with people that I know. There were several phrases that popped out to me. One of them was a phrase that we read in the original episode that we did, which is, unfettered freedom does not produce the good life. In the end, it often leads to more bondage. Why? Because it puts me in charge of my life, and I am not the best judge of what is best for me. It would be the most meta thing in the world if that were a phrase that she didn't actually write herself. Or if she, <laughs> I, I agree. I think. Oh my god! Just my my speculation is that she wrote something similar, and then her co-writer came behind and adjusted words to make sure that it fits with the 
policies and beliefs of John MacArthur and the Grace Community Church because they knew that she would reference that church a lot in her book and quote MacArthur in her book, and they wanted that to be uh, brand safe, for lack of a better word. We did kind of speculate when this episode came out that the good life because I asked you what is the good life and you're and you said to me that it is not a term that you had heard before but that we we kind of speculated that it was a term that m- may be a colloquialism that is common to Ginger's church that mm-hmm. they use in that church pretty frequently so she's going to be using it all the time because it's just a colloquialism that people say where she goes to church We can't know what went on pre-publication for this book but that's my opinion But I do I do think that's interesting Do you want to move on to the other major thing that we got in listener response to that episode? So the other thing that we did um, in that episode was when we were talking about Calvinism, which is, I guess, Ginger's new doctrine, uh, her her shiny new doctrine, her shiny new old doctrine um, that's several centuries old at this point. We were wondering about what it is like to raise children in Calvinism. Sadie, you you talked about how you didn't want to teach your daughter about hell. Mm -hmm. Ginger almost sort of echoed a lot of those same kinds of ideas about not totally wanting to to teach her children certain things uh, uh, immediately. Yeah, she wants to raise her children both within Christianity and Reformed doctrine. But she felt that the teachings and the way that the teachings of the IBLP were portrayed to her as a child produced a lot of anxiety. So she was wrestling just a little bit on paper with the idea of how do I explain what I firmly believe is the truth to my children without traumatizing them? And that passage came off very sincere to me. I had just said offhand I'd be interested to hear from people who were who were raised Calvinist or raised Reformed. How was this explained to you? Did you do you feel that it was done well or done poorly? What was your experience with this? And I had no idea that so many people would have a story to tell. So I said in that episode when I was talking about Ginger wrestling with this that I truly believe that there are people who hold difficult religious beliefs, especially about things like hell, salvation, and predestination, and that many of those people want to mitigate any negative effects that those beliefs could have on their child while still teaching their child about their religion, which is a parent's right. Um, Sidebar, I believe that it's well within a parent's right to teach your child about a religion, several religions, whatever you choose, the only thing that is not okay is when you use abusive and traumatic practices or teach abusive and traumatic teachings to your child. So there are always people who don't realize or don't care that their religious beliefs could have negative effects on their children, but I think that there are people who do realize and do care and do make some effort to mitigate that. So today, I wanted to read some of the stories that were sent from listeners because I think the range of listener stories that we got really support that guess that I made. So do you want to read this first one or do you want me to? Uh, Why don't you go ahead? 
Okay, so this is one that we got from uh, Susan Smith. Thank you so much for writing to us, Susan. And so Susan says, she says, um, in the most recent episode of your podcast, you asked for people who are raised in reformed environments to share their experiences of being raised with the ideas of total depravity and predestination. So, because total depravity um, is the idea, if you go back and you listen to our Calvinism episode, that humankind is wicked and no action by humans can be fully pleasing to God. And predestination is the idea that God basically decided who would be in heaven and who would be in hell. So your your you, like your destination, your eternal destination, is set out before you're even born, and you don't really have a say in the matter. And those are, of course, difficult things to 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 handle. So uh, Susan says. I don't think the definition of those doctrines most people use today is consistent with Calvin's original work or with the idea of those doctrines that our Reformed congregation held when I was a child. John Piper's definition of total depravity flows out of what you might call New Calvinism. The idea of total depravity is articulated in the Westminster Shorter Catechism as there is no health in us. Hmm. Okay. But the idea that we are totally and utterly sinful people unable to think for ourselves is new. The old total depravity means that every aspect of our post post-lapsarian aspect of okay, post-lapsarian world is touched by sin and not perfect. Okay, so post-lapsarian is after the fall of mm-hmm. um of okay, so after the fall of 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 man, all all of uh, everything is touched by sin and not perfect. Okay, animals are not perfect. The environment isn't perfect. I'm perfect. I'm not perfect, and you're not perfect. There is no complete health in us, but that doesn't mean we are totally garbage people. It was always presented to me as something we could easily observe just by looking around us. It wasn't as damaging for me as it is described by a lot of people today. I'm 46 years old and my dad is a pastor. Regarding predestination, I was always taught that if there was one aspect of our heart that desired to know God, we were predestined to know him. There was none of this double predestination stuff or any fear that we weren't one of the chosen. If you wanted to be chosen, you were. People who weren't predestined didn't care one way or the other. And while I think it is super common to equate that with the idea of total loss of free will, I was never taught that. I totally understand and believe people when they describe how harmful some of these ideas were to them. And I've seen these doctrines applied in harmful ways, but in and of themselves, I don't think that they have been weaponized in such harmful ways that's just my take thank you susan for writing to us that's really fascinating this was a 10 out of 10 response for me wow all of these were great but this was this answered so many questions that i had about how these doctrines are taught to children so the idea that the new total depravity is you are not only irrevocably touched by sin but you are also incapable of having any good action or impulse compared to the old total depravity, which means that every part of our world is irrevocably touched by sin, which makes a lot more sense to me. That's fascinating. So that, I mean that I, I can't help, but draw the comparison that 
Christian fundamentalism a really is is like a new doctrine that came about in like the 1800s. Mm-hmm. The way that it is is taught now came about in like the 1800s and this is sort of the same kind of thing in that the the newer movements tend to be much harsher in their mm-hmm. um in in their interpretations oftentimes that can be the case not all the time sometimes. And I think regardless of whether we personally like Calvinism or Reformed doctrine, whether we personally believe it, I think there are always some positives that have to be pointed out. One of those things is is that it is logically consistent within itself. It is a system, a complete system that if you believe all of it, all of it makes sense. Unlike the IFB world, where there are contradictions and exceptions everywhere. And so that, you know, that's something that I can appreciate is the logical consistency of Calvinism. Another thing that I always want to point out is the nuance of it. It is a very specific teaching and it needs to be in order to maintain that logical consistency. So the difference between you have been irrevocably touched by sin and you have been so irrevocably touched by sin that you are unable to do anything good of your own free will are radically different within this system. If somebody told me that that's what they believe, that 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 system is what they believe, that, to me, that's not an insane belief. To me, that is very much a belief that takes a lot of its teaching from things that are just observable about the world. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was, I was really interested in the point about, Oh, well we aren't perfect. Um, animals aren't perfect. The environment isn't perfect. That makes sense to me. If somebody points that out and says that makes sense to me and that, and then they said that's because of the fall of man and inside the garden, everything was perfect and it was in perfect harmony. But now outside of the garden, there's chaos. That is a, Like, that's not an insane religious belief. That's not an insane religious teaching. Right. It is. It's very rational. And one of the great joys of my life is engaging with rational beliefs that are different than mine. That that was such a fascinating uh, letter to get. And so this is like old Calvinism. This this is what is is like old Calvinism rather than being like John Piper's new Calvinism. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And I also I also feel that that telling a child if you want to if you want to be one of the chosen then you are because the desire to be elect I I would I would extrapolate that what Susan's pastor father and other leaders around her were saying was if you are if you exhibit the desire to be one of the elect, that in its, in itself is proof that God has chosen you as one of the elect. That seems so comforting to say to a child, as opposed to, well, you might be elect, you might not be, good luck. <laughs> that seems like so much of a nicer thing, because all children are going to have a desire to understand the thing that they are, been, they, that they are being taught. You know, I was thinking about this too. Mr. Rogers was a Presbyterian minister, mm-hmm. right? Right. So that means that he was a Catholic. Can you imagine Mr. Rogers saying, some of you are elect and some of you aren't. 
God decided that some of the children will be tortured for eternity. <laughs> Can you imagine Mr. Rogers singing that song? But he would probably say something more like what was said to Susan, which right, is, right, right. <laughs> which is, you know, and, and he would secularize it to say, if you have the desire to be good, then you are good. And I could really see him saying that. See, that's the thing that confused me because I was just like, I, I looked up like who's a Presbyterian and it popped up Mr. Rogers. I'm like, Mr. Rogers. Oh, interesting. I really want to dig into what his theology was. I would love to. Man, that's really interesting. Should we move on to our second letter? Yeah. Why don't you read this one? I can do that. This letter is from Emma and she says, Firstly, I love your podcast. My girlfriend sent me the one on Intended for Pleasure, and I was immediately hooked. Oh, well, happy podcast anniversary, uh, first anniversary of you listening yeah. to our podcast. <laughs> I listened to your episode on Ginger's book, and you asked people to write in if they'd been raised Calvinist. So here I am, and I will do my best to keep it short. I do want to give a disclaimer. I'm not convinced my family was purely Calvinist. We attended a Calvinist Bible church, but I was also homeschooled, and my parents got a lot of our curriculum and media from Vision Forum catalog, so there may have been other ideas in the mix. Sorry about that, Emma. (laughs) Additionally, it's fairly tricky to untangle the impact of general fundy shenanigans from the impact of Calvinist theology specifically. Hear that. So there may be some things I'm leaving out or things that are not specific to Calvinism. I started studying Calvinism when I was seven or so. My dad began leading a Bible study book group on this book, and she linked a book for us. It's partially written by the pastor of the Bible church I mentioned above, who later left to work for the same Grace Church that Jeremy Vuolo is at now. He was on the board of the Master's Seminary until his son got caught cheating on a test. Anyway, my dad was really big on Bible study as a family, so my older sister and I participated in the group. We also had church slash Bible history as part of our school curriculum. So we were learning about the history behind Calvinism at the same time. In terms of how being raised Calvinist affected me, I think there are two parts. There's how being indoctrinated into Calvinist theology impacted my thinking, and there's how Calvinist theology impacts the way parents raise their children. That's very interesting. That is interesting. A breakdown of every point would be way too long, so I'll just keep it to the greatest hits. The concept of total depravity was really hard for me to wrap my head around in terms of how it applied to me. My children, my sister and I were terrified of hellfire and corporal punishment from a very early age, so we were really well-behaved kids, and that created an odd cognitive dissonance for me. My parents and their friends would tell me I was a very good kid, but I was also being told that I was inherently disgusting and worthless. I didn't feel like I was a bad person, so I was worried that I didn't understand my own depravity. And that led to a lot of salvation anxiety for a long time. I also remember being really upset that someone could theoretically be perfect and would still go to hell just because they were born depraved. I didn't feel like that was fair at all. What I think is most interesting, though, is how buying into the doctrine of total depravity impacts parents. My parents started physically disciplining my younger brother and I, and I assume my sister, as an infant. Ooh. I remember my mom talking to her friends about how she could see his sin nature at times, even as a newborn, and since he couldn't understand reason, age-appropriate corporal punishment, whatever that means, was necessary to get ahead of his inherent sinfulness. There was an underlying assumption that we would become rebellious and malicious if they let up, even for a moment, 
I think raising a child who you believe to be inherently totally depraved makes you always assume the worst of their actions and motivations, even if they have given you no reason to do so. The other part of Calvinism that had a big impact with me was how God's sovereignty interacted with my daily life. I'm not sure which point this would fall under, but it's closest to unconditional election, I think. I couldn't understand why, if God preordained all my actions before the dawn of time, including every time I sinned, sinning was still my fault. That's a great point. I remember asking my dad about it, and he said something along the lines of, well, that's all part of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, which was a thought-ending cliche that got thrown around a lot in that Bible study, and it was also not an answer. I think this, combined with my feelings about total depravity, were actually the catalyst for my deconstruction. I remember thinking that I was still a kid, and maybe I would understand it better when I got older. I did get older, and I still didn't understand it, and things had gotten much more confusing, so I started pulling the thread. Well, I did my best to keep it short, but obviously that was not what God had ordained. (laughs) (laughs) High-quality Calvinism joke there. (laughs) On a separate note, I loved your series on Christian curriculum. Thanks for all that you do, and I hope things are going well for you guys. And that's from Emma. Oh my God, that was really fascinating. Yeah. that's. I mean, but that, that makes so much sense. Imagine like... Well, because we hear so much about like, oh, like in the fundamentalism circles, like, oh, this boy is rebellious. Mm -hmm. And if you're labeled as rebellious from a young age, that means that it's going to be rough for you going forward because, you know, they're just going to assume that the worst in you. And I guess this is this teaching with Calvinism is no different. Um, Mm -hmm. Man, I think. I think from these first two letters, what we're really saying is that it, it is the teachings about total depravity that make the biggest difference for small children. Yeah. Because it because of how it can affect how a parent thinks about. Because if you're if your parent thinks, oh, there is no help in my child because they have been irrevocably touched by sin, just like every other person in the universe that is not going to be as bad as the parent who is looking for their kid's sin nature and feels that they have to punish it out of them. Yeah. And I mean, imagine if you're a kid and you just get told you are bad. You are a bad kid. I mean, yes, that happened to me. That's... And I I still carry, I think that's maybe one of the deepest scars of my fundamentalist experience because I was... I think I think Heather talks about this a little bit in her much referenced recently book Lovingly Abused but being taught I I don't want to say things on the podcast that are going to just trigger people but but having these very gory and grotesque analogies applied to you you know you are a trash bag full of refuse or you are a disgusting worm crawling under God's foot. The, these are the things that I was told from a preschooler. Nobody ever told me. You know, you know, we tell we tell preschoolers, "Oh, you you're so good," or "You're or perfect," or "Great job," or "You're so smart." Or, nobody ever told me that sort of thing. I would get told, of course, I got praise, especially from my parents if I did a good job on something, but nobody ever told me I was good. People told me I was bad in no uncertain terms, in very creative and colorful and gory and disgusting terms. And that's 
that is, I, I think, one of the key ways that this entire category of Christian teaching can damage children. And I don't want to like speculate on how somebody is going to raise their children, especially if that's like a if it's like a public figure or whatever. Um, but this letter does say that the pastor from this church went to work at Grace at, at the same Grace Church where Jeremy is now, where mm-hmm. Ginger is raising her children in that church. So I don't know if this is the way that that Ginger is going to raise her children. Mm-hmm. But if so, that's not the best, I would yeah. say. What I did find really interesting and encouraging about this letter, uh, Emma says that she couldn't understand how God's sovereignty interacted with her daily life. If God preordained all of my actions before the dawn of time, including every time that I sinned, why is it my fault when I sin? I thought that was so neat because that brought me back to so many logical conundrums that I started to go through around like around my preteen years. This, but also that. Well, you can't go to heaven if you don't believe on Jesus, but what about the people who never have a chance to believe on Jesus, and how is that their fault? So, I, th- I thought it was neat that her path to deconstruction was so similar to mine. Uh, the quote was, I did get older, and I still didn't understand it, and things had gotten much more confusing, so I started pulling the thread. And I, I love to see people who had such a similar path to me. It's like, this doesn't make sense to me, and I'm not going to just accept that it doesn't make sense. I'm going to pull that thread until it either makes sense or it falls apart. That was a fantastic letter. Um, would you like to go take up the offering and then we have a couple more letters to read? That sounds great. Let's do okay. that. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, That group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
We are back from our break. We are uh, looking at listener responses, and we're talking about listener responses to our uh, Ginger Duggar Vuolo Becoming Free Indeed book review that we did a couple weeks ago. Do you want me to go into the next one, Sadie? Yeah, please. Let's do that. This one came from Brianna, and it says, Hi, Sadie and Gavi. I'm Brianna and have been listening since, like, episode three. Jesus. Okay, so you've been listening to this show since, like, before it was good. (laughs) We we love the commitment. We love the you. Oh man, you you hustled through all of the episodes when we were like doing reviews and shit. you you probably heard when I had Sadie do a review of the Lil Wayne album, which was oh man, I forgot we did that. Yeah, I forgot we did that. I like I bleached that out of my brain. <laughs> okay, um, when y'all did the Calvinism episode last week, I was like, hey. Only I can talk about my family like that, but in a fun way. No shame. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Brianna goes on to say, um, my church was moderate Presbyterian colored by Appalachia. Wonderful. Appalachia is a beautiful place. Everyone worked hard, scraped by, and didn't complain. Kids were also expected to sit in the full service. Only very little kids until six or so could be excused to the nursery during the service. I sat there and had to pay attention. It was either that or get in trouble for fraying the ends of the ribbon um, hymnal book. (laughs) I wasn't officially taught these things until I began catechism classes to become a full church member around 12 years old. I understood total depravity from around eight, but never in those words, usually in scripture references, uh, things like, okay, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God and Adam and Eve are some I have on the top of my head. It often went hand in hand with perseverance of the saints. It was literally called that and taught like God is so amazing, so incredible, has such high standards. We must continue to be the best Christians and people we can be, even if there's no guarantee of heaven. God in his all-powerful glory created us and we should be thankful and worship him and only him. Failing to do so would be an affront to God and his work of creation and would be a sin. We also got the omnipotent stuff that God knew my whole life before I was even made and again, and I should be so grateful that me, a sinful little girl, would decide to make me. I began to I began to worry that I wasn't believing enough, praying enough, generally trying hard enough. That bled over into school activities and relationships. I felt guilty often, even if I didn't do anything wrong. Oof. Understanding predestination came a little bit later, around 10 or so. We got the heaven and hell thing, but on top of it, we heard that there is no guarantees of this life or afterlife, I began to worry that I may not be one of the elect. I asked my pastor once why God would create anyone just to send them to hell. He said that God is the only true force of justice in this world, and we needed to trust in him. That, um, by the way, that's what I'm saying when I say that Calvinism is logically consistent, but only if you buy into all of it. Interesting. Well, the, the thing about God is the only force of justice in this world, and we need to trust in him, and that's kind of the... Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. that's that's God's will. So that's actually unconditional election as well, because God does not elect those who are choose those who are elect and those who are not based on 
anything that they do or will do or won't do in their lifetime, which he foresees before the beginning of time, that election is based only on the will of God. So the word election is the predestination part, but the uncon- the word unconditional speaks about it only being based on God's good will and that everything that happens to us is a part of the good will of God. So that's what I'm saying when I say that Calvinism only it only works if you if you accept all of it, but once you do accept all of it there is an answer for everything. Whether you like it or not is up to you. That's so heavy though. That's Yes. Ugh. Yeah. Okay, so um, she goes on to say, um, this was also a time I wondered, why do we even pray if the outcome of every little moment in our lives is planned? Good question. At age 13, I became a full member of the church. I had to publicly take vows of membership in front of the whole congregation. And here's what I had to agree to. Um, she sent us... Uh, and I, I pulled up that link. It's basically, um, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you promise to endeavor to live as a follower of Christ? Do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? Uh, submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church. Uh, receive the word of truth from this pastor. Yield to the ruling elders of this church. Uh, undertake the responsibility of assisting the parents of the congregation in the Christian nurture of their children. Uh, and promise to, if you are a parent, to raise your children with a godly example. So those are the vows. It says, that's not my church, but I, but it is the wording that I remember. I felt like a fraud the whole time because I was so unsure that this was correct, that maybe I didn't believe enough. And it's pretty f***ed up to get a, a 13-year-old to take that vow in front of everybody. That's f***ing wild. Oh, man. Okay, but how how is that different, devil's advocate, how is that different from a bar mitzvah? Isn't that... Be taking yeah, but, on res- adult responsibilities as a member of your church and community. Yeah, but I'm not saying I submit to the uh, government of this church. Like I submit fully to the governance of this church and its pastor and its board of deacons or whatever. I think that could just mean in matters of the church. Um, I think, but it doesn't say that, does it? No, I think that's the implication. Uh I think it just means like if the pastor says, uh, you know, we're going to change our missions budget to 15% instead of 10% of our church total budget, or we're going to paint the fellowship hall purple, then you're just say, okay, yeah, we'll do that. I don't think that is referring to the level of control that IFB pastors typically have in their congregants' lives, although I could totally be wrong. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, there's... There's there I mean that that's it's a bit extra in my yeah, opinion. There's to a me, bit more it than just that. reads like church discipline and matters of church governance, but I can see why you would be concerned. Uh, so she goes on to say important things to note. I was never taught that the Bible was 100% literally true. It was my understanding that some of it was true and some of it was stories to help us understand lessons. Okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's um Number two, I was allowed to wear pants, watch TV, be friends with boys, etc. I was, however, told that being a good Christian girl meant that being pure and not experimenting with sexuality. So, better than some, worse than others. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Three, since a lot of the Christian entertainment of the time, 90s, 2000s, was not in line with what my family believed, thankfully, I was never subjected to Patch the Pirate, <laughs> Veggie Tales, Left Behind, etc. Veggie Tales is all right, man. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Veggie, ta- like, Veggie Tales isn't that bad. Number four, I didn't talk to my parents about theology because I was worried that I would be seen as ungrateful and would be punished by them or by God. Hashtag childhood trauma. Oof. So all this is to say that I had a pretty theologically strict church and family. We were the people praying in the restaurant before a meal. If we went on vacation on a Sunday, we attended a Presbyterian church in that city. This was very long. Apologies. Hopefully it's useful. Brianna. Thank you for writing us, Brianna. Thank you so much. I Yeah, I think this one I wanted to include because it's an interesting example of these teachings not purposely being drilled into a child. If you, if you look back at Emma's story, these teachings were much more directly applied and directly taught to her as a child. In this letter, this one is an example of how they seep into a child who was present in church services without being directly targeted for these teachings by a pastor, a children's pastor, a parent, someone like that. Yeah, that's fascinating. It is really interesting because it is a spectrum, and I can understand why these teachings could be damaging. I can also see why, like, I mean, I, I, I also understand that it's a spectrum and it's, this is nowhere near like growing up IFB or growing up like fully fundy. Right. And that's why in our original Calvinism episode, I was not at all willing to come out and say this is a cult um, because there is nothing about Calvinist doctrine that is a uh, bite model culty. Although I am sure there are many cults that use this doctrine. And it's also why I'm not willing to come out and say, oh, Calvinism is toxic or this is bad because it. I, I really think there is a spectrum from people who are very compassionate and really trying to mitigate the harm to their children and people who are just uh, pressure washing their children's totally depraved souls with these doctrines in a way that could be incredibly harmful. And this was an interesting one to me because I feel like this is somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I and I agree with that characterization as well. So, Sadie, we got another letter. Um, I think this is the last letter that we got that we're going to read about this specific topic. Uh, this one is from a listener who would prefer to remain anonymous. Uh, would you like to read this one? Sure, I will read this one. Hi, I enjoyed listening to your recent podcast on Ginger Duggar. I was raised Calvinist, so I thought I would try to answer your question about being introduced to the idea of total depravity as a child. Some background, I was raised in the Christian Reformed Church of North America, and I was raised in Canada, so I was probably exposed to a more liberal version of Reformed theology than that practiced by Ginger Duggar and her family. That said, the local church I was raised in still does not allow women to have leadership roles and refuses to engage in any kind of conversation about LGBTQIA plus rights. So Mm. not that liberal at the end of the day, correct? It's hard to know exactly how the idea was brought up to me, but I'll try to share my impressions. My earliest memories of God are of a friendly, loving, kind figure, definitely a bearded white man in the clouds, but a bearded white man who loved me perfectly and completely. I knew I wasn't deserving of that love and could never do anything to earn that love. But God loved me anyway because he is good and kind and can't help but love his creation, even if we were messed up. 
Hell was not really emphasized. There wasn't a lot of talk about sinners and reprobates burning for eternity. My personal experience is that Canadian churches don't dwell on that idea as much as American churches do. One clear memory I have is of making my parents very proud when I was about 12 or so. During a Bible study, the minister asked, what is hell? And I said, being separated from God. The minister, beaming, said something like this, yes, exactly. And because of our sinful nature, we are separated from God even now. But because of his great mercy and love, he has created a way for us to be with him. If we follow Jesus, we can be with God, not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done. I don't remember the exact words, but that is a summary of the gospel as I was taught it. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I have a lot to say about this. I'm going to finish this person's letter first. (laughs) So to sum up, I think the idea was always floating around that we were inherently sinful, aka totally deprived. But because of God's love, it wasn't that important. He had found a way to fix it and be in relationship with us despite our brokenness. The emphasis was on God and his love, not on us and our sin. I could write a much longer email unpacking all this more. I do always appreciate being in deconstruction circles. When I hear stories of people growing up evangelical or fundamentalist, I find myself thinking, yikes, thank goodness I didn't have that experience as a child. Only to find that the ex-evangelicals and ex-fundamentalists are thinking the same thing about my my Calvinist childhood. I don't believe in God anymore, and I've been away from church for over 10 years now. I've had time to process my experiences and have done a lot of therapy. While I do sometimes struggle with this vague general feeling that there is something deeply wrong with me, I have learned that this is not unique to people raised Calvinist and is something many people deal with. I am getting better about noticing how this idea shows up in my life and working through the effects in a healthy way. This is just my experience and my recollection, but I hope it shines some light on a Calvinist childhood for you. Thanks for all the work you do in your podcast. And that's from an anonymous listener. That was really interesting to read. All of these letters that we've gotten have been absolutely fantastic and totally fascinating for me to listen to from a theological perspective and just from an intellectual perspective as well. So thank you to everybody who wrote a letter. I have some thoughts on this. I know Sadie does too. Do you want to start? Oh, I was going to, I was going to ask if you wanted to start. (laughs) Cause one of the things that really stood out to me when I was reading Ginger's book was that she that you know she talked of it like there there were passages there were like pages and pages where she was just gushing about Jesus and just like how Jesus sets you free and stuff there wasn't a lot of talk about eternal hellfire mm-hmm. i don't know if that even came up um but when she talks uh, but in this letter uh when our listener says um that hell is being separated from god is 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 existing in in separation from god as we are now mm-hmm. that is a really interesting concept that is more yeah i always love engaging with that theology all of the ideas around oh well, hell is us on earth now because we are separated from God. We are feeling the effects of the sin curse on humanity. I wouldn't say I believe it, but I really love engaging with it. Well, do you remember when we were doing our Halloween episode, when we reviewed The Burning Hell? Mm-hmm. How and could I forget? That, that, movie, it, it, that movie was made to dispel the idea that hell exists on earth right now like that was the the theological idea that that movie was kind of made to dispel and they're just like you know what we do then we have to make a movie where we show how bad hell really is yeah and i'm (laughs) hoping (laughs) to get into this sometime this calendar year but the bible doesn't the the idea of a burning hell where you go after you die and you are there forever 
is not as scripturally supported as you might think it is. Well, how much of it is based on Dante's Inferno? A lot. That's and the other thing works that, of fiction. Um, see, for all the the thought that they have into being like, oh, we we it's the Bible and the Bible only, and the Catholics are the ones who have all these extra biblical teachings and all these extra biblical traditions. I mean, the teaching on hell, it, it's kind of extra biblical, isn't it? Yeah, it's not that the Bible doesn't say that there is um, a, a concept of a punishment for non-believers or a separation from God or something that isn't the outcome for believers. Uh, but the Bible does not describe hell in the kind of vivid detail that evangelicals think it does. We'll get, I, I want to do a whole episode, so I don't want to get too, too, too into it. The part that stood out from this anonymous letter for me was when the writer said, my earliest memories of God are of a friendly, loving, kind figure, definitely a bearded white man in the clouds, but a bearded white man who loved me perfectly and completely. I knew I wasn't deserving of that love and could never do anything to earn that love, but God loved me anyway because he is good and kind and can't help but love his creation. So that is, I wanted to point out two sides of the same coin here. On one hand, that is a pretty compassionate depiction of God. I've always um, felt more positively about the idea of God who can't help but love his creation because of how many times God is portrayed in scripture as a loving parent. So, and, and that God has a, a paternal or maternal uh, love for us. The other, on the other hand, the part of I wasn't deserving of that love, they could never do anything to earn that love, that's what I think is still not something I would want to introduce to my kid because that's something I struggle with in real life. I don't feel like I deserve for my husband to love me. I don't feel like there is anything lovable or good about me as a person because I was so trained to look for my own sins and look for my own flaws and to never acknowledge anything good about myself. I have to really work on seeing things that are lovable about me and thinking of myself as, well, if I was partner to someone exactly like myself, I would love them. I would just think they were so great. That concept of there is nothing good or lovable about me, I think is not something I would want to introduce to my kid. Yeah, I think that's the the tougher part of total depravity. I think from all of these letters that we've gotten, you could, I think, assemble a version of Calvin, a, a version of the points of Calvinism that is not toxic. Would you agree mm -hmm. with that? Would, would you like the yeah, teachings about? I think that I think that anybody who was really committed, I think anybody who is really committed to taking any brand or flavor or denomination of Christianity can make it into something non-toxic if they are determined and flexible enough. And it could be internally consistent as well. Mm -hmm. The stuff that we've really been very heavily critical of, I think is very much this John Piper and John MacArthur brand of Calvinism where yeah. it's you, you, where, where their teachings on total depravity and, and, uh, and, and the, the elect and all of those things are extremely smug. And it also extremely just like, it's it's very it's a new belief system as far as like uh, how old it is relatively, but it's also very austere. Mm -hmm. 
The, the other thing about Piper MacArthur, those are both personally abusive men. So I have no problem coming for their theology um, because I there is evidence that they have not worked to reduce the harm of their teachings. Sure. And also, I think that a lot of times men who are abusive in that sort of way either um with the language that they use or the abuse that they enable or the abuse that they you know because because it's it's john MacArthur. he's the one that says that uh women who are who are abused they should stay with their husbands and try to lead them back to god that's not a a belief that sadie or or i could i could ever get behind and both of us i think feel that that is an abusive belief i think that a lot of these men look specifically for an abusive version of God so that they can justify bad behavior and their own bad teachings and just be like, yeah, well, that's the way the world is. And if you don't like it, suck it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I do want to point out that MacArthur does in the hypothetical say that women who are being abused ought to stay with their husbands in order to lead them back to God. But also, he has enforced this belief on individual women who were being abused. He does not only believe this in the hypothetical. Yeah, and that's something that neither that Sadie and I both find absolutely reprehensible. Yeah, I don't um, mean to correct you. It's just the way you said it sounded like it could have been a hypothetical belief. And I wanted to point out that it is both hypothetical and practical in real life. He has forced people to do so. We have one letter that we're going to finish with, but before we do that, there's, um, Sadie, I don't know if you saw this, but this got posted in our Facebook group a couple of times, I think, and it's, it's been making the rounds. I think my mom saw it and, and she sent it to me because she, you know, heard that we were doing the episode on it. Um, did you see that the New York times did a, a write up of Ginger's book? Yes, I did. Did you read the write up at all? I no, I, I did not have time this week. No, I, I I wouldn't blame you. Um, but the New York Times did a write-up of Ginger's book. And in my opinion, the write-up that the New York Times did of Ginger's book was just like an absolute puff piece. It was like... It, I, I, like it, it, I, I don't think it really got below surface level. And it almost like... It, it it almost portrayed Ginger as like a leader of the deconstruction movement. Oh gosh, Exce- yeah, that's it, worse it, than her saying Josh Harris is the leader of the deconstruction movement. Well, it it it, it almost like portrayed her as like a rallying figure of um, young women who are uh, who are uh, moving away from the conserv the the more extreme aspects of their Christian faith. And I'm like, mm, no. no, because. And I'm like, I'm wondering, did this person even read the book? Like, that was literally the thing that I was wondering when I read it. Either that or they read it and they're just so unfamiliar with the territory that comes with this that they really shouldn't have been a person to write about it because they couldn't actually examine it critically at anything other than a surface level. Because they almost like talked about her as if she was like a leader within this thing. And they, and they almost like portrayed disentanglement as the correct or preferred term for whatever it is that Ginger's doing, like all across people who oh are, who are, moving. yeah, it was, it was just really oh. like, and, and it really just seemed like they did not understand that Ginger wrote this book as like, in order to be reactionary. If I had known it was that bad, I would have read the article. 
No, it is like you can go. I think the person who posted it in the Facebook groups uh, posted it there as like a, a free gift. So you can click on it and read it and it's not going to cost you uh, whatever of your free articles a month or something. But it was posted in our Facebook group. But they like there was like a section where they're just like, yay, Ginger, she's writing this book about how she's not uh, she doesn't believe all this crazy stuff anymore. Um, and then there was just like one paragraph where they're just like the church she belongs to now has John MacArthur who thinks blah, 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 blah about queer people and blah, 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 blah. But I'm just like, really? It's just like you inserted a, a thing there just to like say that. I don't know. It, it like it felt to me like the the I don't know whoever was writing it. It, it felt to me like they were out of their depth or they didn't really know what they were talking about. Well, I'm disappointed to hear that. Thankfully, we got much more nuanced and interesting responses from our listeners. Yes, we did. And I like I I don't know. I, I do think that there's a certain portion of people who are who are maybe New York Times readers who fancy themselves among intellectuals or are interested in journalism, but they don't really consider the nuances of different kinds of philosophy. Hell, that was me like when we first started the show. And that's the kind of person who I felt like did the book. And so they couldn't understand the context clues from the things that were in it. The other thing is that with anything Duggar or IFB or IBLP, everything is in code speak and you don't know it unless you've lived it. So we talked yeah. about a ton of just turns of phrase or specific vocabulary words that were basically Calvinism dog whistles in Ginger's book. And I remember someone commented in the Facebook group and said, Oh yeah, you got a lot of them, but you missed a lot too. Right. So there were even more, <clears throat> <coughs> there were even more that I didn't pick up on. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was just such a weird, fascinating read, but also just like a brain bleach moment. <laughs> but I do, yeah. I do agree with your, your conclusion that it's, it is a, it is a, a broad spectrum of how any religious belief is portrayed to a child. And there are, plenty of people who just don't care if that belief negatively affects their child or they don't believe that it would be possible for their belief to negative, negatively affect their child um, or they think, oh, these are just hard truths that children need to learn. But for every person like that, there is somebody who does care how their beliefs affect their kid and does feel strongly that they want to raise their child within this belief system, but they don't want it to cause any damage by the kid being exposed to beliefs that they are not ready to deal with. That was extremely well put. And I love the way that you said that. Um, do, do we want to uh, uh, close up and, and read this fun letter that we got? Yeah. Let's do our just for fun letter. Yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, I can't remember what episode it was. Um, we were talking about, do the Catholics have a special saint that they pray to for like, if you want a parking spot right. and, um, I texted a, a friend of mine and Sadie's. His name is Ray, who's a Catholic. Yeah. So, um, and and Ray sent us back. It was a, a Saint Cabrini, is the the saint that you have to pray to. Saint uh, uh, Francesca uh, Javier Cabrini, or is it Xavier? I don't know. But that's the saint who you have to pray to to get a, a parking spot. And some and one of our listeners 
Yeah, um, our listener, uh, whose name is Teresa, uh, not Mother Teresa, by the way, uh, a different Teresa, uh, <laughs> sent us uh, a, a fun email uh, um, just with a little anecdote about this. So we thought that we'd finish up on that because it's fun. Um, do you want to read it or do you want me to? I will read this one if you don't mind. Oh, go for it. This was um, nothing to do with Calvinism. It was just so fun that we really wanted to share it with you. Dear Sadie and Gabrielle, please feel free to read this on your pod if you like or just enjoy it for yourselves. I've been listening to podcasts intensely for many years, but I've never written into one before. This is my first time. We are honored. So honored. My name is Teresa. I'm from Alberta, Canada. I listen to your podcast as I bike to and from work in blistering winter conditions up to negative 40 degrees Celsius, which trust me is a compliment because I can only listen to the most distractingly interesting content when biking in that kind of weather. I've been into the fundy stuff for some time. By far, my favorite fundy is Jill Rodriguez, who is bonkers in a way that is truly unique and special. So it was fascinating to hear Sadie's insights into her life from an insider perspective. (laughs) She certainly is bonkers in a special way look when we were having our our fundy draft i mean <laughs> j-rod j-rod is victor Wembanyama. she's the like she's the number one overall pick there's like no debating it even it's it's just you know continuing this letter i was listening to your calvinist episode today on my daily bike commute and you started talking about prayers for parking spots i have never had a more specific and topical anecdote to share For context, I was raised in a very Catholic family, so much that my sister joined a convent and became a nun in her early 20s. Technically, she's a sister, not a nun, but the distinction doesn't really matter for the purposes of the story. She wears a habit and looks exactly like you'd picture a quintessential nun to look like. She's currently based out of LA, so I hardly see her anymore, but every few summers she manages to come up north to visit. Her and I enjoy hiking, so my plan on one such visit was to drive over to the Rockies and do a day hike with her. Note that she never takes off her habit, so yes, she was absolutely hiking in the mountains in a full white habit, although she does kind of hooch it out of the way somewhat. (laughs) (laughs) I like this sister already. This is fantastic. Because because it was summer in the Rockies and I picked a rather popular trail, I knew beforehand that parking at the trailhead would be an issue. I'm a cyclist in part because I hate trying to find a place to park. And sure enough, the parking lot was crammed. My sister is the calmest, most unruffled human you will ever meet, and as I said, she's also from L.A., so let's just say finding parking is a struggle she is both familiar with and unfazed by. She should come to Philly and see how it is out here. Parking is an absolute nightmare. As I'm circling the lot, she smiles at me beatifically, beatific being the only way that she smiles, and says, you know, we sisters have a prayer for finding parking. Then she kind of laughs in a way that implies to me she's half joking, but also half serious, as she knows full well that as an atheist, I find this kind of thing nuts. Nonetheless, I'm like, sure, sock it to me, sis. So she says, Mother Cabrini, don't be a meanie, find us a parking spot. Lo and behold, (laughs) right then, (laughs) someone pulls out of their parking spot just ahead of me, right at the trailhead, too. I was so mad. But my sister <laughs> but my sister is too holy to gloat. So she just smiles at me in that annoyingly beatific way of hers. <laughs> my sister somehow gets away with a lot of weird nun magic of this short of this sort. <laughs> Don't even ask me about praying to St. Anthony to find lost items. 
I do consider this just a coincidence, but also my sister never has trouble finding parking in LA. And she sent us some uh, pictures of hiking with said sister. The sister is indeed in a full nun habit uh, with a hiking backpack, hiking in the Rockies. That's fantastic. This Keep is Keep up the holy work and please do make use of this 100% authentic Catholic prayer when you are in want of parking. Blessings from Teresa. Sadie, are you going to use this prayer in the future? I yeah, absolutely. Have you used it yet? No, I have not. You, like you got to <clears throat> you got to let me know. <laughs> oh man. Okay, that's that's really interesting. That's that's a hilarious story. Thank you so much Teresa. For that, yes, to us. that was a wonderful story. Um, as far as I heard you laugh at the don't be a meanie part, I did want to note that I don't have any other specific examples top of mind, but that kind of little almost poking fun at the saints, that's not uncommon. I think it's uh it goes like I've heard other Catholic prayers and sayings that go kind of along those lines, and I think it's referencing that these are these are people, these are human people who are no longer with us, but that they were holy people. They were <clears throat> close to God, but they were humans. Also, I think that we, when we think of nuns, we have a very serious way of thinking about them and seeing nuns like making, have like a joke prayer mm-hmm. almost. I mean, <laughs> that is, that is kind of funny. Uh, Oh man. No, that okay. was that was just too cute, too funny. We had to share it with y'all on this episode. That's that kind of wraps up all that we've got for today. Um as I said earlier in the episode, make sure that you guys tune in next week because next week we have a big deep dive that we're working on. Next week we're working on a um a de- it's been almost like a passion project of mine, like a, a deep research project of mine where I've been researching into the manosphere and and various male like masculinity influencers and and the way that that operates online and the cult-like thinking and and the self-brainwashing that goes into that sort of thing as well and it's sadie and i have already started to we're about halfway done outlining it at this point and it's so fascinating, and I can't wait to show you guys what is going to go into that episode. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, I'm really excited about getting into that next week. So make sure that you hit that subscribe button so that you uh, get that episode right when it comes out on Monday. Or you can join our Patreon. Get it on Sunday. Get it a day earlier and get a extended and uncensored version of that episode, which will be super fun. If you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, you can uh, join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. As I said earlier, the Patreon, patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. You'll get everything a day early, including next week's Manosphere deep dive and also the Patreon bonus episode where we reviewed the horrible, 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 horrible marriage advice and sometimes decent marriage advice given to the fundies in the fundy book by Bob and Joe Beth Hooker. Um, you can follow our Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all at Leaving Eden Podcast. We're posting a lot of videos now on TikTok, just like short clips of the show, short clips from episodes that we've done in the past and the ones that we've got going forward. So, 
those are really fun for us to do and that we can you know share a moment of the show so go and follow us on tiktok if you want to go see those on twitter at leaving eden pod sadie do you want to plug your social media sure you can follow me on instagram at sadie carpenter music on twitter at hell yes sadie and on tiktok at sadie carpenter one and you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You guys have a great day. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.